This episode is brought to you by the Weather Channel app. Did you know the app can help you forecast more than just the weather? With allergy tracking and fluid mapping. So you know when to stay inside and load up on podcast, As well as air quality and UV indexing. So you know when to get outside, load up on sunscreen and podcast. Forecast more of what you love with the Weather Channel app. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Care Talk. My name is Laura Packard, and I'm the Executive Director of Healthcare Voter, and I'm also a cancer survivor who's been through the healthcare system in America firsthand. We have answers for your questions, and also we have a special guest today, Maura Quint from Americans for Tax Fairness, to talk about tax day and your healthcare. Our first question for today uh, came from a caller from Maryland uh, who's just been diagnosed with stage four triple negative breast cancer last week. They're working and have insurance through their job, but want to know, uh, since they'll be getting treatments, what's the best option to go to as far as uh, signing up for short-term disability or long-term disability with their job, or just going straight to signing up for social security disability and quitting their job? Um, but obviously they'll, they'll still need health insurance or working a couple days a week and getting social security, but uh, still need health insurance uh, through Medicare or Medicaid. So this is kind of a complicated situation and uh, we're wishing the best for you, first of all. Uh, and to answer some of those questions, welcome Diane Archer from Just Care and Social Security Works. Thanks, Laura. This is a complicated situation. I'm so sorry you're in the middle of it. It's just hellish. And um, you should know you're not alone. That's not a small comfort, I understand. But our healthcare system is so fragmented that a lot of people are in your situations of not knowing which way to go. Um, one thing I want you to know is that if you qualify for social security, Security disability income, and you might with a cancer, a stage four cancer, uh, you will not get Medicare for 24 months plus a five month waiting, which means that you will need, even if you go to the social security office and are eligible for long-term social security disability insurance, you will need um, some other insurance in the interim in the two years and five months that you wait for your Medicare. And so for that coverage, I'm going to turn you over to Zoid. Uh, uh, thanks, Diane. So yeah, um, if so it is certainly possible that if you end up deciding to either quit your job or um, cut back on your hours and thus lose your health insurance, you could qualify for insurance through um, the Fed, through the marketplace. Um, so in Maryland, they have their own state-based marketplace. Um, so you would be going to their website um, to see what your options would be there. Um, and losing your health insurance, either through quitting your job or um, because you no longer qualify due to reduced hours, those would be qualifying life events. You would be able to enroll um, within the 60 days after you lost your insurance. Um, and you that could be an option for you um, while you're waiting um, to get Medicare um, for those those 29 months, you could essentially have that. And then if you were still on social security disability income and 
qualified for Medicare, you could transition from marketplace to Medicare. Um, also, the, the state-based exchange will also determine if you could be eligible for Medicaid as well. So it's kind of a, a one door where you can go and see what your option. Thank you, Zoid. And that's Zoid from Health Sherpa. Our next question is from Eric, uh, who says that uh, they have Cigna and uh, he's concerned about their ability to do paperwork. So um, he might be paying three times as much to try for his wife's plan for insurance. Uh, So that's more of a statement than a question. But Diane, do you have some thoughts? Yeah, the only thought I would um, offer is that With corporate health insurance, it's almost inevitable that if you are using um, the healthcare system a bit, you're going to find yourself pretty much swimming in paperwork. It is just unconscionable how much paper you'll get and how much you'll have to read the fine print. And I'm not sure what insurance your wife has or why it would be better than your insurance. But what I do know is that when you get to the point where you are eligible for Medicare, if you go the traditional Medicare route, the route that people are automatically enrolled in often, um, then you won't see any paperwork. Unlike with corporate health insurance, the government's Medicare program, traditional Medicare, uh, has the healthcare providers billing the government directly, so you're never having to complete any forms. And if you have supplemental coverage, almost all the time, Medicare will send over what it has paid to the supplemental insurance company, and that company will pick up the rest of your costs. And you won't see any paper other than a statement showing that your coverage has been paid for. If for any reason it hasn't been paid for, again, with Medicare, you will not be liable for the cost it will be on your provider. So that is the only insurance I know of where you avoid the paperwork um, in any, to a large degree. Thank you, Diane. Our next question comes from Dale, who says that in my district in Wisconsin, State Assemblyman Scott Krug will not even discuss Medicaid expansion. Uh, Assemblyman Krug states, it's a path for people to remain in poverty. So we are gerrymandered and screwed pretty much as far as the expansion of Medicaid for health insurance in Wisconsin. So uh, I'm sorry to hear that. There are now 10 states left that have not expanded Medicaid. Uh, Wisconsin is one of them that has only partially expanded. But if you live in a state like Florida, Texas, or Georgia, you're facing the same issue. And this has been an ongoing problem for a decade now. So uh, I don't have good answers for you. In some states like Mississippi and Florida, there may be a path to do a ballot initiative where the people will vote. And in every state where this issue has gone before the people, the people have voted for health care. But if you, you are stuck with the legislative process and your governor, um, in, in Kansas, the governor supports Medicaid expansion and making health care more affordable, but the legislature is stopping it. So uh, the best I can give you is uh, contact your state legislators, contact them regularly so that they keep hearing from you that this doesn't go away. Write a letter to your local paper. Make sure that your friends and neighbors know that the reason why 
thousands of people in your state don't have health care is because of these votes or lack of votes. Uh, and then when you have the opportunity, vote for people that will be health care champions. And it isn't just about who you vote for, for the state legislature and the governor. It's also uh, in some states like Wisconsin, the Supreme Court is an elected position. And uh, those Supreme Court justices have a lot to say on whether you're districts, your legislative districts are drawn fairly, and you have the opportunity to get better representation. So it's not, you can't just vote for your state legislators and your governor, you need to vote on the judges as well, because they are critical. And we're not talking about this today. But a judge in uh, Texas, just voted to um, just ruled to make a preventative care, uh, some preventative care uh, pieces not available. Uh, for people through healthcare, and another judge voted to make uh, mifepristone a medication uh, not available as well. So it is very, very important to vote for the judges, not just the state legislators, because judges can have a lot of power to determine your healthcare. Uh, next up, um, the the public health emergency, which we've talked about in previous episodes, it ends May 11th, but states may have already started contacting people to confirm that they're still eligible for their Medicaid health insurance. So Zoid, what should people be looking for in the mail or by phone or email? And what do they need to do to keep their Medicaid? Thanks, Laura. Yeah, so this process actually started on April 1st. Um, states are redetermining all these folks who have gotten Medicaid, have stayed on Medicaid during the pandemic, during the public health emergency, and are determining who should still be on Medicaid and um, who is no longer eligible and will need to get other insurance. So you should, um, if you currently have Medicaid in your state, you should be looking for, you're getting a phone call or an email asking you to update your information with Medicaid. Um, so that's going to be information, particularly like your home address, um, other contact information, um, and your income. And also if you're offered a, um, if you're offered insurance through your job. Um, these, so these communications could be coming from your state, from the state Medicaid agency. Um, if you're in a state like California, where um, the counties kind of administrate Medicaid, it could be coming from your county. Also, if you're in a managed care plan, which many people in Medicaid are in a managed care plan, so you have a private health insurance company like Kaiser or Blue Cross Blue Shield who administrates um, your health care, um, you could be getting notifications from them. In a lot of cases, states will have them reach out because they have a, a closer relationship with the Medicaid members. Um, so look out for that. Um, even if you haven't gotten anything, log into your portal online with your Medicaid agency um, or give them a call and update your information that way because this is happening for everyone. So even if you haven't been contacted yet, um, you do still need to make sure all of your information is up to date um, so that if you're still eligible, you can stay on Medicaid. And if you're not still eligible, you can know quickly that you're losing it and you can figure out your other options. Thank you, Zoid. And next, uh, we have a, a bit of a statement from Beth, who says, sadly, everything in healthcare is so related to money. Um, the for-profit system, things were getting very bad before that even happened. Uh, even back into the 1980s, we were having patient dumping scenarios clear across the country. I've seen it firsthand. So Dan, do you want to talk a little bit about uh, what's happened in healthcare and the for-profit system in the past 
few years? Sure, yes. Um, thank you. Uh, I couldn't agree with you more uh, about the for-profit healthcare system. I think that even 20 years ago, I would say it was kinder and gentler, and you were more likely not to have to face fights. Um, now what we have is even the nonprofits being forced to behave like the for-profits in order to succeed in the marketplace and not just go under. Uh, I was talking to a colleague just today about how we might create a consumer's health insurance company. Um, and that would be one that actually delivered valuable care to people with cancer and heart disease and other costly conditions. But the problem is that, as you mentioned with patient dumping, uh, the insurers would be delighted if we set up that kind of an insurance company and would dump all those very costly patients on us. And of course, we would welcome them, except for that it would become very unaffordable um, for us to survive as a business offering this coverage and for anybody to join an insurance plan that was um, specifically for the people who cost the most. So I think that um, we all need to be looking at the traditional Medicare model as a model that is cost effective, that gives people access to the care they need when they need it, and doesn't discriminate against people with costly health conditions. In fact, with traditional Medicare, you can go to any, almost any doctor you want anywhere in the country, and you usually have supplemental coverage that picks up any of your out-of-pocket costs. So that's the good news. The bad news is that that supplemental coverage can be prohibitively expensive for folks. So a lot of people end up in the corporate Medicare Advantage plans in order to save money, only then to find that when they get sick, they want to be back in traditional Medicare. And it can be hard to go back because traditional Medicare doesn't have an out-of-pocket cap and requires you to have supplemental coverage in order to protect yourself financially. So this is all a very long way of saying that one of our campaigns is to put an out-of-pocket cap in traditional Medicare so that it becomes an option, a meaningful option for anybody who is over 65 um, or has a disability and is on Medicare. Um, that they aren't forced into Medicare Advantage because um, it is less expensive, at least upfront, than traditional Medicare. Because what we are seeing in the for-profit Medicare Advantage system is, again, this patient dumping, in some instances, uh, inappropriate delays and denials of care um, in other instances. But whatever it is, uh, people struggling to get the health care they need when they most Absolutely. Thank you, Diane. And I think in a future episode, we'll be talking to some folks in New Mexico that they are working on a Medicaid uh, statewide plan that would let anyone buy into Medicaid, whatever income level they make. So you could consider it a Medicaid for all uh, for people in New Mexico. So that will hopefully be a future episode. Uh, but today, I'm delighted to welcome Maura Quint about upcoming tax day and how taxes in our healthcare intersect. Welcome, Maura. Hi, thank you so much for having me on here. I am thrilled to get to, to chat with you all. Um, yeah, taxes and healthcare. I mean, these are two things that usually get talked about in very separate sort of spaces. But, you know, Laura, you and I, I think, 
especially know, since you've been in the healthcare world for so long, and I've been in the taxes world, we have a lot of overlap. <laughs> there, there are a lot of places where these two fights become so much the same fight in a lot of ways. So I was trying to think about how to pull this all together. Um, and there are so many different places where it overlaps when we talk about drug prices, when we talk about pharma uh, companies and pharma CEOs raking in huge amounts of money and then jacking up the price of drugs that people need. There are a ton of areas where this overlaps, but I kind of thought I would dive into one that I know we're going to be hearing a lot of pretty soon. Um, Just to start, for everyone listening, April 18th is tax day. Just a reminder, I've said it out loud a couple of times today and I've heard many people go, oh, right, oh, no. So, put that on your calendars. That's a Tuesday this year. So you still have a little bit of time to get those in. And I know that everyone who's watching this is going to be getting their taxes in and is going to be paying their fair share in taxes. But unfortunately, that is not everyone in the country. Um, There are entire groups that are not currently paying their fair share in taxes. And one of the largest, most notable groups is billionaires. Billionaires are not paying their fair share in taxes like the rest of us are. So I wanted to talk for a second um, specifically about the debt limit, which is so thrilling. I know everybody's on the edge of their seats when they hear debt limit, but you're going to be hearing a lot about it really soon because in the next, uh, over the, the next period of time, we're going to be hearing a lot more from various Congress people uh, about the debt limit fight. We've already heard quite a bit, in fact. And quite a lot of um, Republicans have started talking about how the debt is a real problem and a very big concern for them. And one of the things they start talking about is that we need to balance the budget. And in order to do that, we need to start making cuts. We need to start making cuts to services that people need. Now, sometimes they will outright say that we need to be looking at Social Security and Medicare. Sometimes they're a bit broader about it or they don't want to say these things directly but quite often they're looking to cut services people rely on. The House GOP wants to cut the federal budget by $130 billion this year alone. Now, they usually shield defense from any of those cuts. So where those cuts are coming from are directly into health care and other family services. When you start looking at cuts at that level, you're talking about possibly denying 2 million vulnerable rural and underserved households health care access at community health centers. You're talking about cutting uh, the WIC nutritional program for women and infants and children. You're talking about uh, cutting mental health prevention, uh, suicide prevention lines. You're talking about massive amounts of uh, services that directly impact people's well-being. And you're looking to cut those. This is obviously not a good thing. It's a problem. But something that's really interesting, I think, um, is very recently the Center for American Progress put out this great study that was looking at, well, what is actually causing the debt? Why, why do we have this debt if this is such a concern? And what they found that the biggest drivers of the debt, some of the biggest drivers of the debt are the tax cuts that were put forth by George W. Bush and Donald Trump. These have been major drivers of national debt. And who benefited from these tax cuts? The rich and corporations. So in other words, the driving Republican philosophy of the 21st century has been to give massive tax cuts for the richest and then expect the rest of us to pay for them 
by cutting services that we all need, by cutting access to healthcare that we all need, which is paid for by the taxes that we're putting in. So instead of expanding access, we are meant to be giving these cuts to the rich. It doesn't really seem fair. But fortunately, we actually have a really great roadmap right now to do exactly the opposite. Um, recently, I want to say it was about a month ago. I'm already lost in time. I think we're in April. But pretty recently, uh, President Biden actually put out his 2024 budget. And people may not like all of the budget, and that's fine. But there are a couple of really important key things in there. The budget is a plan to raise nearly $5 trillion. And the plan to raise that $5 trillion is by increasing taxes on the rich and corporations to make sure that they start paying a fairer share. We're not talking about fleecing the rich. We're talking about making sure that they are paying in at the rates that the rest of us are already paying. Because right now, the wealthy are getting away with paying far, far lower rates than the rest of us. So when we start taxing them, in fairer ways so that they're contributing the same amount the rest of us are, we suddenly have this huge pile of revenue that we can then use to actually invest into services that people need. And in President Biden's plan, that means $3 trillion worth of investment into services. And in fact, I know one of your callers was talking about uh, being in Wisconsin and not having Medicaid expansion. This is one of the things that President Biden's uh, budget actually specifically addresses. It looks to raise taxes on the rich, raise taxes on massive corporations, and then use that to invest in closing the Medicaid coverage gap, which would extend coverage for nearly 4 million people in 10 Republican-governed states that have refused to expand Medicaid to their residents. So we have this wonderful possibility of how we can actually move forward in the future and start getting services to the people who really need them. Um, this is a fantastic thing that we should be doing because we have the opportunity, we have the ability to pay for these things. We have the ability to invest in the well-being, in the care, in the health care of all of our people. We just need to ensure that the rich start paying at a fairer rate. And once they start doing that, once we start enacting fairer tax laws that enforce this, then we start ending up with the ability to invest back and make sure that everyone has access and can get care. So there's a lot of possibility here and we're excited about it, but it's going to be definitely an uphill battle. Um, Thanks, Maura. So uh, if right now, as you are writing your check to the government for your taxes, and you're angry that the billionaires are not paying their fair share, uh, what can or should people be doing about it? That is a great question. I mean, you know, there's lots of, of options of things we can be doing. But one of the biggest things is demanding it. You know, ultimately, we are looking to have our legislators enact laws that are fair. But there are a lot of issues. There are a lot of things that legislators are focused on, and they really do need to hear from us that this is something we care about. We have to make sure that our voices are heard. And that means across the board, that means reaching out to your local, your state, your federal legislators. It also means, you know, we're, oh, I hate to say it, coming into another election year soon enough, but it, it means also going and talking to candidates really paying attention to who it is that you're looking to put into office at every level. 
and asking these types of questions because they need to hear from you that you care about tax fairness, you care about healthcare, you want to see the rich paying their fair share so that that money can be invested back into the community and people can have access to services that they need. That is very, very key. And uh, going back to what you said about the debt limit, uh, I have just been traveling with the Courage for America folks across the country. Yes. Uh, we have been sharing our personal stories and talking about what is on the chopping block that uh, right now a faction in Congress is refusing to pay America's bills. And they're using that as leverage to cut potentially Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, veterans benefits, health insurance through the Affordable Care Act, food stamps, kids' lunches, and more, uh, that all of that could potentially be cut uh, as a part of their demands just to not crash the economy. So uh, thanks for bringing that up. And that's another thing that you should talk to your your U.S. representatives and your senators about that they should they should raise the debt ceiling and and not use uh, everything else as hostage uh, because the the effects of these cuts would uh, risk lives. I think it's really important to keep remembering that the same individuals who really are threatening all of these services, who are threatening the cuts, are the same ones who turn around and give massive tax cuts to the rich. They are interested in two terrible cuts, and they both need to stop. We cannot and will not accept any cuts to services, and we need to stop giving these massive tax cuts to the rich. We need to have them start paying their fair share so that we can fund everything. And speaking of the Trump tax cuts, aren't some of them going to expire soon? So is there going to be a fight to renew those costly cuts? You are on top of it, Laura. Yes, that is absolutely true. We are now looking down the barrel of this fight, which is that they are looking to expand the tax cuts that Trump enacted in 2017. He passed a whole slew. And again, the uh, Center for American Progress study that I referenced shows that these Trump tax cuts were a major driver of increasing our national debt. And now we have several of them up for renewal. And so we definitely, as long as you're making those calls, want to let um, our representatives, our U.S. representatives know that we absolutely do not want to extend these tax, tax cuts for the rich. Thank you. And thanks to everybody who joined us today. Uh, please keep calling and texting in your questions and we'll answer them in future episodes. Also, uh, if you prefer podcasts, check out our show uh, as a podcast wherever you get your podcasting needs. Uh, so thank you for listening. This is Care Talk. <laughs>